You notice I got all these uh, books up here, and every 4th of July, I read out of this one. It's called uh, America's God and Country. It's an encyclopedia of quotations done by William Federer, and I've had this book for many, many years, and I love it, and uh, I'm going to share. We're actually, I'm going to be reading something out of this for the sermon. I'm going to be following along, and we're going to be jumping into the Bible, and then back and forth, back and forth. It's going to be pretty cool. That's coming up. I also have this book here that the founder of Hobby Lobby, Steve Green, he has a uh, museum, but this book is called Faith in America. Faith in America. I've read out of this before, and I read a, I read a section in here about a man named Alexia de Tocqueville from France back in the eight, early 1800s. He came over here to look at what is going on in America and how he saw that religion, people of faith, was incorporated in everything they did. So that's if you want to borrow this and read about that, it's available for you if you all would like to read that. I, don't, I doubt that I will get into any of those things, but I have read out of it before. Now, what you have heard many times, especially recently, how many times have you heard somebody say, separation of church and state? I've heard it a bunch. Uh, separation of church and state. Now, the first, and then you'll hear something new is they, they're talk, they keep saying the establishment clause. That's the new one. That's the new thing. Now, the First Amendment to our Constitution, most people wouldn't be able to tell you what it says. It actually protects five different things. But the First Amendment actually says, this is what it says. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. Now, all of those have been attacked, especially the free exercise thereof. Now, we have a uh, famous story that's been around for years now, but it be just became very popular as far as the mainstream media. Uh, the coach, in Wa I think it was in Washington State, that would pray in the middle of the football field after a game. Now, that went all the way to the Supreme Court. That's why we know about it. They won at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you are prohibiting the free exercise of religion by telling him he can't do that. So they stood up for what the Constitution actually said. So that was a victory. Uh, freedom of speech. There's all kinds of people who have been shut down and aren't able to speak freely in this country. We've seen that. Now, back to this establishment clause, the first one. 
Well, actually, let me finish reading uh, the rest of the uh, uh, freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, we have had a serious problem in this country for the past two, three years of being able to peaceably protest, right? We've had a problem with that. I've noticed that all these stories that pop up on my phone about all these things that are happening and what I have noticed over the past months is the absolute filthy language that has just been spewing out from people that should know better. These are anywhere from actors who people admire and watch in movies, and these are they're, they're actors, people of influence that are speaking very vulgar language. We have representatives in our Congress and our Senate speak very vulgar language, and it doesn't, they're not one bit ashamed of it. And that's troubling. That people in high authority are using very bad language and are not ashamed of it. I've noticed that. Separation of church and state, and they say that's the establishment clause. Okay, why was it put in our First Amendment? England had the Anglican Church, and you were Anglican or you can go to jail. There were times when the Roman Catholic Church would, would dominate an area, and it was, you're Roman Catholic or you're done for. You couldn't pick and choose which so-called, they called them sects back in the day, but denom we call them denominations. So all this is saying is that Congress can make no law that would require you to be, you pick, Roman Catholic. So the, this nation will never be a particular denomination because we had people in different states that had come from different backgrounds. You had Puritans, you had Quakers, you had Roman Catholics, you had Baptists, you had you know, John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He, he wrote it when he was in jail in England because he was a Baptist. That's, that's what this is for. It was for you cannot make a certain denomination be the state church. You can't do it in America. It's not that they wanted Christianity eliminated from America. They didn't want the church separated from the state. They just didn't want the state mandating what the church did. So what we're going to get into next, I'm going to be reading out of this America's God and Country, <laughs> is proof that our founding fathers, and you heard what Joy read starting the service here, that these founding fathers held the Word of God to a very, very important part of their life. They held it with high esteem. The Word of God is so important. I want you to think about, you have 
political things. Political. Well, all through the Bible, there's political things going on. There are kings that are ruling a nation. And then there's a king from Syria who's ruling that nation. And that king is making war on this kingdom, and that kingdom don't like it. And th- so there's political stuff all through your Bible. But yet, a preacher talks about anything political, and he is fussed at for being political. The politics of this country will turn this country into a horrible place to be if Christianity, a belief in the Bible, is not very interwoven. Look at other countries around the world who do not hold to the religion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, this country, was established on the belief that we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And things work very well when that is what you worship. But look at all the other religions of the world. Those people are forced to be in that religion or die. Many of them are like that. In America, you can come here and be part of a religion that we may not agree with, and you're perfectly free to worship that way if you want, and no one is going to harm you for doing it. But try to be a Christian and go to a Muslim country and and, 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 uh, be received the same way. It will not happen. It will not happen. Now, I'm going to read something to you. This is uh, June 28th, 1787. The Constitutional Convention was going on. And I've read this before, so to some of you it will sound familiar. Uh, But this is... The Constitutional Convention in 1787, June 28, and there was a bitter debate over each state, how each state would be represented. So it was before they came up with, you know, the good idea of, you know, a House and a Senate and how their rep- the states are represented. So you had small states who were not going to be represented as well as a really big state, and there was this big fuss over it all. And that's what was going on. That's the scene. It was so bad that many delegates had left. So Benjamin Franklin, and remember, he was considered the least religious. After reading this, you may be like me, ashamed of how little you know about the Word of God compared to Ben Franklin, who was considered the least religious. So Benjamin Franklin, being the president or governor of Pennsylvania, and he's 81 years old at this point, 81. Life expectancy was nowhere near 81 back then. Hosted the rest of the 55 delegates attending the convention. Being the senior member of the convention, he commanded the respect of all present and, see, he didn't demand it, he commanded it. I mean, it was, it, it, he, he's not, it's not saying that he said, you have to respect me. It's just because of who he was, he got the respect that he deserved. That's what it's saying. 
And as recorded in James Madison's detailed records, he rose to speak in the, this moment of crisis. Now here's Benjamin Franklin's speech. He said, Mr. President, well, we already know who the president was. It was George Washington. The small progress we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continual reasonings with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as a's, is, methinks, a melancholy, melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. I would like to read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What I, what I did is I, as I read through this yesterday, I was reading through this speech, and I started writing down where he got what he said out of the Bible. And that's what I found. You may go through this and you may find another place where he was talking about human understanding, how you can't trust it. You may find something different than what I found. But some of these that I'm going to share with you today are exactly the place that he got them from. We indeed, back to his speech, we indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which, having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution, now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? I need a big table. This, is a, this doesn't work for me. I need a big old table up here to lay all this stuff out. Okay, groping in the dark. Does anybody know where that is in the Bible? Don't feel bad. I didn't know either until I had to look it up, had to find it. Job, chapter 12, verse 25 says, They grope in the dark without light, and he maketh them to stagger like drunken men, or like a drunken man. Groping in the dark is out of Job, chapter 12, verse 25. And what did he say about not once thinking of humbling, humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? Where is, where is Father of lights in the Bible? Anybody know? James, chapter 1, verse 17, says... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from 
the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Pretty cool, huh? Let me remind you, Benjamin Franklin just stood up in the assembly and just spoke this out, out from his heart. We're not done. He's, he wasn't done. And we also can go back to where talking about being a light for our path. You know, we, I can pull verses out of uh, Proverbs that would go with illuminating our understanding. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible about that. Then he says, In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. Now, what I'm going to read to you next. Now, this I'm, I'm, I'm not done. I'm going back there. But this that Benjamin Franklin reminded them that when they were in the war with Great Britain, that they prayed for their protection and that they saw time and again that God was on their side. Now, here's one example. And I've... I've I have shared this on 4th of July weekend for who knows how many years before. The story of when George Washington, this is early in the Revolutionary War, George Washington and his 8,000 troops, they were trapped at Brooklyn Heights on Long Island. The next morning, General Howe was going to Go in. They were trapped on the island. They couldn't go anywhere. They were trapped. 8,000 of them. George Washington and his men. And they set up camp, and they knew the next morning they would be crushed, and the war would be over hardly after it had even started. It was, it was almost like a wasted effort to do all of what they did, and they were going to be slaves forever. So during the night, as darkness fell, George Washington decided, he, he, he prayed about everything. Everything he did every day, he prayed about. So he felt led to start grabbing fishing boats, rowboats, any boat they could find on the island and start shuttling the men across the East River. And that's what they did all night long. Only problem was not all of them got across and there was several left behind as daybreak was starting. And they thought, we messed up. We're going to lose uh, uh, thousands of our men. This is not going to go well. And about the time it should have got light, they noticed the fog lifting off the river and the fog coming up out of the ground. And the fog was so thick you could barely see somebody six yards away. They kept shuttling, kept shuttling, kept running the guys over on the boats. And the fog hung around all morning long until the last person got over and then the fog lifted. That's just one example of the things that they saw during the Revolutionary War. There's many, many others. Okay, back to Benjamin Franklin's speech, which was quite a few years later. 
remembering back on, on that, amongst others. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national f felicity, and have, and have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? Well, there's scriptures about God being our friend. Then he says, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. God governs. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, verse 4. Or I'm going to read 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously, and govern the nations upon earth. So he is convinced that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow, this is, this is Benjamin Franklin speaking again, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? So we all know that scripture pretty well. You've heard it many times. And that's in Matthew 10, verse 29 talking about two sparrows for a certain amount of money, but yet not even one of them can fall to the ground without God noticing, and how much more special you are in, in God providing for you. We know that scripture very well. <clears throat> Back to Ben. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it. Where's that at? Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Exactly what he said. Psalm 127, verse 1, the first half of verse 1. And then he says, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without this concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. So how did Babel go? How, how, how successful was that building project? So we know that from Genesis. And Babel is in, the, in Genesis a couple times, but the second time is Genesis 11, Verses 8 and 9, and how they planned to build the tower, they made the bricks and the slime, and how they were, and God came down and just put an end to all of it, confused the languages. So we know, we know all about that. Then he says, We shall be divided by our partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and by word down to future ages. Now, when I, when I read that, I would go to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, 
where they wanted to rebuild the wall so they will no longer be a reproach. But he said a reproach and a byword. Hmm. So did he get that out of the Bible? Go to, we don't have to go, but just write down Psalm 44, verses 13 and 14. Thou makest us, us a reproach to our neighbors a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou, 14, thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. Wow. <clears throat> and what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move. You know, when we make a motion at the council meeting, I think we should say it that way. <clears throat> That's supposed to be funny. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Well, after he sat down, the whole room was in awe. George Washington was very excited about what was just done. Everybody was touched. Everyone in the room was very touched. Following the historical address, James Madison made a motion which was seconded by Roger Sherman of Connecticut that Dr. Franklin's appeal for prayer be enacted. Then Edmund Jennings Randolph of Virginia good old Virginia boy, followed with a further motion that a sermon be preached at the request of the convention on the 4th of July, the anniversary of independence, and thenceforward prayers be used in ye convention every morning. Of note, this is in brackets at the bottom of the page, of note, is the fact that prayers have opened both houses of Congress ever since. Still going on today. This is the Constitutional Convention. This is government. This is political. Does it sound like to you that our founding fathers wanted to separate religion from state? This is just one small example. But does it sound like to you that they felt like they would be better off if they kept religious things out of the decision-making of our government and our political issues. What do you think? Does it sound like to you that that's what they thought? And everybody, you hear people say, well, oh, I'm all for separation of church and state. Go back and look at what the Founding Fathers said. They said, you're crazy if you get religion out of government. Benjamin Franklin said that we they, he was asked, what kind of government did you come up with? A republic, if you can keep it. Because a country like America, 
where you're free, you have, you have liberty, you must be a virtuous, moral people. You have to be, or it won't work. And what we're seeing, like Betty was bringing up for prayer, we're seeing a country that is falling away from God. And we need more laws to try to tame the lawbreakers. It's a heart issue. So we become less and less free because of all the lawbreakers in this country. The people who are doing more and more bad things because they have no knowledge of a loving God that wants to save them. Now, this speech, I mean, do you realize how many times Benjamin Franklin, just in his regular speech, quoted Bible? How often do we do that in normal conversation? Sometimes we do it more than we know because it's just part of our language because our country used to be solid in the Bible. So we say things that are out of the Bible. Like, well, he saw the handwriting on the wall. That's out of Daniel. There's many things that we say that we don't even know is out of the Bible. But Benjamin Franklin puts me to shame. And I'm a preacher. So... He's been dead for a really long time, but he's still inspiring me today to read the Word more. I need to know it more like he did. So, I think the biggest problem that we have in America is individually, we don't know the Bible good enough. On July 1st, you know, we, we have January 1st, start of a new year. You, all right, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, why not July 1st? All these laws go into effect on July 1st, right? You know, I had no idea what that building down in Salem was. It's got big R-I-S-E on it. I had no idea what it was. And it was like really guarded. They would put barriers up and everything. Didn't want anybody near it. And I'm thinking, what is this place? Well, Friday morning, when all the new laws go into effect, I'm riding down Main Street and I look over and there is a line of people coming out the front door all the way across that parking lot, cars all around it. And I'm like, what is up with that? Well, I just happened to be talking to somebody on the phone. Well, I was safe, safely. I had my earbuds in, my phone was not in my hand. And I was talking to somebody as I'm riding by there, being legal, I was legal. And I said, what is this? And the person that I was talking to, he said, oh, I know what that is. And this is a reliable source. He said, that is a medical marijuana distributor. Well, it's one of the new laws, evidently, that just went into effect. Now, I noticed that people are growing it out in the open. Every nursery around here has classes where you can come and learn how to grow cannabis. And so evidently the use of medical marijuana must have went into effect. I don't know. I don't keep up with that that much. So if I'm wrong, I, I, but, I, but I'm thinking July 1st, maybe this new, new law came into effect and now all these people come from everybody, everywhere to get their, their uh, marijuana. Oh, interesting. You know that 
all of these very violent crimes that we've seen over the past several months, and even others, there's one that was in Canada. It was a, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a child actor from Canada. He recently shot his mother in the back of the head with a 20, they don't, they don't allow handguns in, in, uh, in Canada, <clears throat> but he had a 22 rifle, and his mother was, was taking care of him because he had gotten very addicted to marijuana, and there's also synthetic marijuana that really messes the brain up, depending on how it's made, but she, her, his mother was playing the piano in their home, and he, he admitted that several times in the past he had thought about killing her, killing others, and he shot her in the back of the head while she's playing the piano. Well, come to find out, he had a very serious problem with marijuana use. <clears throat> the shooter up in uh, New York with the supermarket shooting, I think it was New York, uh, he had a history of heavy marijuana use. The shooter in Texas at the elementary school, same thing. All of these people have got something very common, and, it's that, and, and that's just that one thing is marijuana use, heavy marijuana use. But yet we're making it legal all over America now. And you don't hear those, you don't hear those little details on the news, but you look into it a little deeper, you start finding this out. There are certain things they don't want us to know. We cannot trust our media at all. Confusion. Well, recently I've been talking about Bible versions, different versions of the Bible, and they don't all read the same. It's, in my opinion, it's Satan's trick to try to cause doubt. Every time somebody comes out with a new version of the Bible, it's, oh, it's easier to read, it's this, that, and the other, it's so much, it fixes some of the mistakes. So you're saying that the Bible that we had 100 years ago, 200 years ago, was wrong, but yet people loved it. <clears throat> Benjamin Franklin loved that Geneva Bible or the King James Bible, and he made decisions based on that. But yet nowadays we find out, oh, it wasn't, always, it wasn't right in every area. Well, I trust the old King James over anything else. All of the newer ones that have claimed to fix the mistakes are the ones that are in error. And I can prove it to you hundreds of times. We don't have time to do that today, but I've done it bit by bit over time. And I, don't, I wanted to read uh, Proverbs. Oh, this is what I was getting to. I said all that to say, read your Bible. <laughs> Just read your Bible. I've been challenged. <clears throat> I started reading. Uh, today was chapter 3 of Proverbs because today is the third. So read one proverb for whatever day it is. Chapter 1, 2, 3, tomorrow, you read 4. When you get to the end of the month, you have read all the Proverbs, right? And then you can start all over again. If you keep doing that, you'll know the Proverbs so well. It'll just be in you. How about, how about reading a certain number of chapters in the Old Testament 
and a certain number of chapters in the New. Maybe, maybe uh, six chapters and three chapters. Oh, the, the Old Testament's way bigger than the New, right? So you might, you might want to double up on how many you read in the Old and then read a certain amount in the New and see how quick you can get through the Bible. <clears throat> I know a man who I had his little yellow, that little yellow book I had up here last week. He reads through the Bible every 45 days. He reads Proverbs way more because he's reading that every single day. He's reading a chapter out of Proverbs. He reads 20 pages of the old and 10 pages of the new every day. So he's going through the Bible eight times a year. And the thing of it is, and, it, and, and that's the King James Bible. But he's also read through the NIV probably three times. He's read through all, uh, many of the other translations he's read through several times. <clears throat> he, did a, he did, on one, for three years, he did a study. He did, oh, what I was talking about, I, I mentioned this in Sunday school. We need, we need to eat the Word of God. Eat it up by reading it. Okay? Well, this man who's, who does this, he says, quit worrying so much about studying. Read it. And he made, he made an example. He said, if somebody brings me a nice steak dinner and sets it down in front of me, he'd sit there and go, you know, I wonder which cut of beef this is. I need to go get a chart. I'm going to go get a book and, and, and shows me how all of it's cut up so I'll know exactly where, what part of the cow it came from. That would be interesting to know. Oh, wonder if it was grass-fed. wonder if it has any hormones in it. I'm not sure if I want to eat this or not. And you can just go on and on and on in, in the sides that are with it. Was that organically grown? Did the person preparing this, did they wash their hands? It might be contaminated. Now, this is all the excuses I hear while people say, well, I don't know if I want to read that. I don't know if I have the right version. You know, I heard that it was, that it was contaminated. I heard that it's not... It, all the excuses in the world. He said, why would you do that? Why would you study the meal that was set right in front of you? Eat it. Just eat it. Because if, if you're always just studying everything and wondering where it came from, you'll starve to death. And that's what we've done as Christians. We are starving to death because we want all the answers and we want everything now. If you can't sit down and read it in 30 minutes, then it's not going to get done. Because we look at it as a whole, and it'll take me too long. And you've got so many other things, worldly things, that are competing for your attention. And uh, my buddy Lee was talking yesterday. We were talking on the phone for a good while. He said, he said, we got all of these modern conveniences that make our life so simple, and we still don't have time to read the Word. Still don't have time. Instead of having to walk for miles to get somewhere, we drive in a car there in five minutes. Instead of shoveling manure, you're flushing it out. It's gone. You know, thought, he, was just, he was talking about all the things people had to do back in times gone by. All the things that took up so much time. And now we can do everything so fast 
But yet it seems like we have less time to read the Word than they did back then when they had all those hard labors to do. We need to read the Word. I'm challenged to read more. My wife gets frustrated with me because she says I study too much. I think she might be right. I probably study too much, and I just need to be eating, eating the Word. So I hope you're challenged as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good book. We thank you for your sacred writings. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would have a desire, a hunger inside of us to eat your word, to eat it up. Father, we don't know what every mineral and nutrient does for our bodies. We just know we have to consume it. Father, we don't have to have it all figured out. We just need to get it inside of us so that it can do what it's supposed to do. And Father, as we read your word, I pray that it will draw us closer to you. Father, that we wouldn't worship the word, but we would worship you who gave us the word. And Father, that we would be better individuals so that we can be better families, better communities, and maybe turn our country back to you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.